Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we've come now to verse 13. We're looking at verses 13 through 21, and you'll notice that this passage, this section, begins with, therefore. That means that, number one, the subject is changing or evolving, but it changes based on and stands on what has previously come before it in all those verses, one through 12, that we've been looking at for a few weeks. So you go back and you recount how Peter tells them that they are seed scatterers in that region of Turkey that we know of as Turkey today. They're put there by the power of God and that their salvation is based on the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and they are into the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're under Persecution, that's why, they've, that's why they're exiles or sojourners. That's why they've been exiled from where they were because Nero is out to kill all the Christians. Imagine that you've been displaced because the government is trying to kill you, you being a Christian. It's a great statement of faith that you would risk everything, maintain your testimony, and then by the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God be displaced into another region. And as we looked at the language there, placed upon top of the people who were already there, the indigenous people, placed there by the sovereignty of God as the seed bearers of the gospel. Of course, this is how the church grows. In the sovereign grace of God, God puts people in places where he has already softened hearts and made them receptive to the gospel because they are his from before the foundation of the world. Now here they are in a strange place among strange people impoverished under persecution and Peter writes to them strengthening them in what they already have their salvation and reminding them of what they have to come he spoke of their inheritance that's in heaven reserved undefiled unfaded in heaven undiminished incorruptible in heaven all of those things now it comes to this they are there in that place, yes, they're going to be persecuted and they're going to suffer. May I say, probably, well, not probably. In our country, our nation here, if we are truly Christian, we are closer 
to persecution than we've ever been here in life and in place where we are. Now, I know Christians are always persecuted somewhere and they suffer all over the world, but we've been under some kind of divine protection in our nation and we're here celebrating its birthday today. But how far we have fallen in such a short time. And everything that's said here is, rele- is, is relevant to us because we're not that far from suffering the same kind of thing. Where godless government, biased against Christians, seeks to subtract them from social life. Now, that makes us want to pay attention maybe even more closely. Here are these Christians in the middle of a, a bunch of unbelievers, many of whom are going to come to Christ but don't know, don't know it yet. The Father knows it. He's put his seed bearers there, his seed scatterers, the diaspora, and they will by the power and unction of the Spirit, do what God put them there to do. Peter, therefore, is encouraging them and the main, as I've said all along, the main subject here that Peter presents is hope. We have hope. They're not hopeless. It may seem like it, but God's going to take care of them. As long as God has us doing what he has called us to do, God will take care of us. Now, therefore, O suffering persecuted Christian in the middle of nowhere, fearful, no doubt, wondering what's going to happen, maybe even wondering where the next meal will come from, how are these Roman citizens going to treat them because their Caesar is against Christianity in general and Christians in particular? What's going to happen to them? Peter continues in his encouragement for hope. He says, therefore, so it's a new subject. Having girded up the loins of your mind, being sober minded. Two participles there, each one focusing on the mind. Have you cinched up your belt and rolled up your sleeves as a Christian? I don't care what comes. I don't care what Caesar may do. I'm not worried about the attitude of others where I've been placed regarding my faith in Christ. I'm cinching up my belt, girding up my loins, rolling up my sleeves. In my mind, I have a mindset that is a Christian mindset And I'm not foolish about it. I'm sober-minded. I am as serious as I can be. This is what Peter calls them to do and to be. Be ready. Concentrate. Focus your mind on who you are in Christ. Now, here's the imperative. This is who you are. Therefore, set your hope completely Upon the grace being brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rome was at the pinnacle of power when these Christians were dispersed, displaced. 
the wickedness of Rome was also reaching its pinnacle. The might of Rome, the wickedness of Rome, the hatred of Rome against Christians, the persecution of Rome against Christianity in general, a crazy Caesar. Thank God we've never had any crazy presidents. A madman sitting on the throne of the greatest power the world had ever known up to that time. Wanting to destroy Christians and any testimony that existed of Christ. Set your hope not on Caesar. Don't set your hope on maybe catching a, a boat to Egypt and you can hide there. Don't set your hope on anything else other. He says the word here, he says, setting, set your hope completely, teleos. Greek word means to fill up. It means to be perfect or complete, to be filled up. Therefore, your hope is filled up completely. There's no other hope. I have no other hope in this world. This world is not finally going to deliver me and carry me into the eternal life that is mine in Christ. There is nothing in this world that is hopeful for me. Consider everything. Let me, let me, I think I can probably take this step. Pat will throw her Bible at me if I've taken the wrong step. <clears throat> I've been involved in all kind of stuff in my life. And I, man, I invested myself in it. Even had a little hope that this was really going to mean something down the road somewhere. I ain't there no more. Those things have dissolved. They faded away. I've come to, and I've got a long road that I've walked here, but I can say that there was never really any hope, substantial hope that could be invested in any of that stuff. Good grief almighty. I spent 26 years in public education. That's asinine. <laughs> Who does these things? I don't have any hope. Am I, have I won a Nobel Prize? No. Considering those who have won Nobel Prizes, I would not felt in good company had I won a Nobel Prize. Have I, have I written theses and journal papers? No. Well, I have. I had to write, a dis had to write two dissertations. Two doctors. So I had to write two of those things. Those were maddening. That's crazy enough. First step, you feel like you're chewing a rubber band when you get into that kind of thing. You just, this ain't going nowhere. 
But when I was doing it, man, I said, oh, this is going to be a big deal. Ain't no big deal. She, she was there. Pouring over 26,000 words of journals. And at about 2.30 in the morning, she says, I'm going to bed. Okay. Well, there are a lot of things, not just that. Now, I've spent 57 years in martial arts, but I do, I've done that just to destroy my knees and shoulders. That's the only reason I've done that. I really have no hope, except maybe just once. But every year, every era of my life, maybe increasingly so, I've seen the hope that I have in Christ. His word coming true every day, more and more. And that circle that is the essence of my existence, man, it's, it's full. Set your hope completely. My hope is not in any earthly institution. Or organization, or administration, or anything. My hope is in nothing in this world. When I was a kid, you know, July 4th was such a big deal, you know, and you did all this stuff, had parades, and it was my birthday, and my daddy had me believing until I was 38 years old that all of the banks closed because it was my birthday. <laughs> but that so-called shining city on the hill doesn't glisten so much anymore. I have to maintain a biblical mindset. I cannot but do that. And a worldview that is biblical and Christian, true, truly Christian. One time, my great nation was close, it was there. I mean, there are always, there are always evil things in the things of this world. As I've grown older, my hope has increased here, hasn't increased here. My hope continues to increase all the more in what is yet to come. And here he is. Set your hope. That's an imperative. That's an order in the Greek text. Set your hope absolutely, completely, fully upon the grace. Oh, grace. I can't do anything myself. Not a thing. The only thing that I can do that means anything that's good to anybody is what Christ does through me. Teach the Bible, pray for others. For my brothers and sisters who suffer to offer something, any, what can I do? But it is Christ through me. I can claim none of those things. It's grace. My hope is in the grace of God. I don't deserve anything. None of us do in Christ. 
set your hope completely upon the grace being brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. The unfolding, the unveiling, the manifestation of Jesus Christ. My hope. I think we talk about it every day. If you want to really get angry and want to kick the door open, it might say a bad word in your mind if you're not careful and spit and all this kind of stuff. Just watch the news. It's punishment. You may as well get one of those whips and whip your back like they do in the Middle East when they're, I don't know what they're doing when they do that. Punishing yourself. But every day we think about the plight, especially of our grandchildren, what's going to happen. And we agree on this. We say, you know, surely the Lord's going to come. Our hope is in the revelation of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. We don't deserve it. But this is where my complete and absolute hope is. It's not in anything that I can do. I'm 72 years old, and almost 72, and I haven't really accomplished anything. I'm just waiting, you know. Chriswell, W.A. Chriswell said one time, he said, I'm not looking for the undertaker, I'm looking for the upper taker. This is where my hope is. Because I have to sadly understand that the Bible says that the human race gets worse and worse and worse. And just at the right time, Christ will call his church out from among the living and up from among the dead. And the final seven years will fall upon the history, man's history, and the wrath of God will fall. And then Christ will return gloriously after that, at the end of that, with his church. This is where my hope is. This is where, when we're suffering and we're persecuted, we don't have hope in Caesar. We have hope in the grace that is brought to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ. I will not escape my time before Christ. Nobody will. Elect or reprobate, saved or lost, nobody will escape standing before Christ. And because Christ has paid the penalty for my sin, and as the Father through the Spirit has called me into Christ, who paid for my redemption, and I know this as well as I know myself. This is where my faith is. This is where my hope is. Because of that, by the grace of God, Jesus is coming. And when he comes for his church, he's coming for me. And I want to escape this world. This is what he's saying to those scattered Christians there in that ancient land that we now call Turkey. Here you are. God has put you here. God has done all of this for you. Therefore, number one, having firmed up your mind 
that nothing is going to sway you away from it, set your hope completely upon the grace being brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's number one. Number two, as children of obedience, not fashioning yourselves to the former desires or lusts of your ignorance, but as the one having called you is holy, here's the second imperative. Be holy yourselves in all your conduct because it has been written, you shall be holy because I'm holy. That's in the book of Leviticus. Children of obedience. I had a wonderful mother and father. And in that family, as I grew up, I learned very early to be a child of obedience. We learned this in Christ as the family of God, to be children of obedience. I grew up, there was a structured life into which I grew, into which I came and, and in which I grew up. There were things you didn't do. There were things you did do, but there were things you didn't do. The words you didn't say. Those bad words, they come awfully early in life. Just a personal testimony there. <laughs> and so do the whippings, <laughs> and the soap in the mouth and all that stuff. Places you didn't go, places you had to go. I went to church. My daddy was my employer. I worked for, he had a big clothing business. He got it, he went into that business when I was eight years old. So I started working when I was eight years old in the business. And he paid me. He was also my pastor. And he knew what he paid me and then he would give me the little tithing envelope. Put your tithe in that envelope. Oh, that ain't enough. I know what you paid, what I paid you. Then we went to church. You be sure and put that in the plate. Yes, sir. I did. Didn't hurt me. Didn't hurt me a bit to understand that I had an obligation as the son of my father to be taught the ways of God in, in Christ and to seek as far as I could to be obedient to the scriptures. Now, he's speaking to the spiritual children, the family of God, as children of obedience. Keep reading the Bible. Let me tell you what you'll discover. It's a living thing. It's like, it's like a living person. You know, you can sit down and can have a conversation with somebody that you've known for 50 years and learn something new about them every time. That's the way it is with the Word of God. That Word of God is living. Hebrews chapter 4, it lives. And it speaks to you. It bears testimony. It bears witness. And every time you read it through, I can tell you that is a form of testimony. I don't care how many times you read it through, you're going to learn something new. And a lot of times, 
You're going to read something, you're going to say, uh oh, or oops. Hadn't been doing that. It's kind of like sitting down and getting a haircut with Pat cutting your hair. Oops. What? Uh oh. What are you doing to me? Well, that's, that's, like, that's like me and the Bible. I've read the Bible a lot of times. I've read it in I don't know how many translations. I've read it through I don't know how many times in the Hebrew and the Greek. And there's always this uh-oh moment. I'm not here. I'm, I'm not living in that realm or I'm living in that realm and I'm not supposed to. That's, that's growing in Christ and it's also being a child of obedience. Children of obedience. And I love this because it says don't fashion yourself like you were before in your ignorance. You did a lot of dumb stuff when you were unsaved. You didn't know. You were dead. An unsaved person is dead in trespass and sin. You can't tell a dead person anything. You, you can try. When I was, when I was a pastor of my first full-time church, I guess we had about the biggest cemetery in Etowah County. It was one of the oldest. It went for I don't know how far, man. Would, I was, you know, I was full of spit and fire, and we're going to have these high attendance Sundays. We'd have a, we'd have a hallelujah goal, a number we've never had before. And I'd tell my Sunday school director, I said, listen, if we're a little short, me and you're going to walk through that graveyard. <laughs> and the fresh dead members, we'd give them, say, last five years. They'd have been here. If there's a lie, that'd have been here. We're going to meet that goal one way or another. Well, don't fashion yourself after the former desires or lusts of your ignorance. But as the one having called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, in your manner of life. Because it has been written, you shall be holy because I am holy. Do you know why I'm holy? And the word means to be separated and apart. A sanctified vessel put to a holy, distinct use. I am holy because God says I shall be holy. I'm not perfect. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'm not going to go that far in confession, but I do bad things. You do too. We come under conviction. God catches us, gives us a whipping, sends us back to work. Well, I am holy. And a lot of people misunderstand the word. Yes. I am holy because God has declared that I'm holy. That vessel is mine. 
I've separated him. In Zechariah, is Zechariah, the, 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 is it Joshua, the high priest comes in. He has a wrinkled up, filthy, nasty robe on. And God said, take that robe off of him and put a clean white one on him. That's what happens to me with the righteousness of Christ. This is how God separates me and declares, you're mine. I've separated you from everything else because I'm separate. The world hates God. Fallen angels hate God. The God of this world, the God of this age hates God. God is separate from everything that is sinful. And right now, the sin nature has consumed since our fallen Adam has consumed everything. But God has separated himself with his own from all of that and and has declared that we are holy. And we are children of obedience because we know what we used to do and it was ignorance. I was dead in sin, but I'm alive in Christ now. I have been born again. I am holy, separated because I am God's in Christ. And therefore, if I'm his, he is holy. I am holy. He has declared that for me. So that's a second imperative because we're children of obedience. Third imperative is here. And if you call upon father as father, the one impartially judging you according to each one's work, here's number three, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your sojourn. This is life. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims. We don't belong here. This is not home. And it feels less like home for Christians the further along we go. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your sojourn, knowing that you were not redeemed by perishable things, by silver or by gold. You were redeemed from your futile, empty, valueless, worth nothing manner of life handed down from your fathers. You weren't redeemed with that stuff, but you were redeemed with precious blood. The highest value of anything up there, precious, precious. Hymate. By thee, but by thee. Tamil. Hymate. Precious blood. Beyond value. Redeemed with something that stands alone as its worth as a treasure. Nothing compares to it. But you were redeemed with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. Redemption. We've talked about that recently in a little bit. Let me rehash it for you. The Bible teaches us some very difficult things about who we are in Christ. And the meaning of these things we will have to pursue into the ages of the ages because they are difficult to understand and they are God's language, not man's language. But to summarize, we were written, those of us in Christ, were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. That's what the Bible says. 
It also says that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. So we're hooked with Christ. He's hooked with us before there was ever anything. We are, according to the covenant that the Father made with the Son, we belong to the Son. The Father has taken us and has given us to his dear Son. Such that Christ would say in John 6, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. But as surely before the foundation of the world, we are given to Christ. Even though we are the elect of God, Adam fell and we fell in Adam. None of us in Christ have lived perfectly. But Christ redeemed us. This is how precious he is to us. And we are to him. The father gave them to the son. And the son, even though we have fallen in Adam. Those of us who are his elect. Even though we have fallen in Adam. He will redeem those who are his. That's redemption. To purchase to purchase that which was otherwise cast away. Redemption. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful word. Elytrophite uh, from lutro, the root word. Talk about buys you out of slavery. You're worth nothing. But you're not redeemed with gold or silver. You're redeemed with the blood of Christ. The creator of all things who left the realm wherein he was and became a man to be born of a woman, a virgin, uniquely prepared to be offered as a sinless sacrifice. And he did it according to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians for his church. Christ died for his church. Christ loved his church and died for his church. Ephesians. If the father is your father, then you conduct your life in reverential awe before your father. <laughs> I never would misbehave in the presence of my father. He'd sneak up on me sometimes. But I knew what I could do and what I couldn't do. But the Heavenly Father is with me all the time. To honor Him. It means to, to give Him honor, reverential awe. To have this holy fear of your Father because you call Him as your Father. The world doesn't do that. The world doesn't care. Knowing that you were not redeemed by perishable things. You were redeemed from your useless, pitiful life. With precious blood, the blood of Christ. So that's imperative. Number three, I've been redeemed. I couldn't have faith in Christ. I couldn't understand that I'm a sinner and I'm bound for hell apart from my need for a Savior. I wouldn't understand that if God hadn't awakened me to it. The natural man refuses to believe that kind of thing. Finally, in summary. Having been foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, he, that is Christ, 
He having been foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, but having appeared that is to be openly manifest, having appeared in the last times for you, and he did, and then he died on the cross and he was ascended into heaven into his glory. In the last times for you, look at this, he appeared for you, he's talking to believers, who through him believe, are believers in God, the one having raised him out from the dead and having given him glory in the ascension. His glory is restored. And he intercedes for us today in heaven. So that your faith, here's number four, the conclusion of it, so that your faith and hope are in God. We face a lot of bad things. We're going to face difficult things if we live long enough, even in the country where we live, in the world where we live, because we're Christians. And the world naturally hates Christians. The world rejects God and his Christ, Psalm 2. This is the world. But we're not of the world because our faith and our hope are in God. He'll carry us through until the end of it here and then he'll carry us through here into there. I always talk about Chris, well, he used to sign all of his letters. I'll see you here, there, or in the air. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. Perhaps the Father is calling you to the Son, you having never come to Christ. You'll know it. There's no mistaking the call of God into his salvation. Just a moment, we'll be dismissed from this service. We have deacons and their wives right across the hall. You'll see them standing in the doorways. They're ready to pray for you if God is calling you into his kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. And you would have faith in Christ. Maybe you're here and God leads you to come and be a part of Shiloh. They're prepared to handle that with you as well. If that's what God wants in your life. Let's stand together prayerfully and we'll be dismissed.